Welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing for Pragmatic Marketing and your host. Today, I am joined by our very own Mark Stiving, Pragmatic Marketing Instructor, Pricing Expert, and Proud Doggy Dad to Jake. Hello, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rebecca. I never know what you're going to say on these introductions. I always like to throw out little new facts about you that people can go and they'll be like, oh, proud doggy yes. dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today I want to talk to you about Pricing International, right? You've done the hard work for creating a great product. You've analyzed willingness to pay. You've got the perfect price. Everything is great. Or is it? What happens when you want to take that product international? What do we need to know? It turns out that pricing internationally is one of the challenging things that we face. Let's let's think about it simply first, and then I'll throw the complexity in, if that's okay. Sounds great. The real simplicity is I'm going to go to a different country. I'm going to figure out how much people in that country are willing to pay, and I'm going to charge that. Doesn't that seem easy? And it turns out that different countries will have different willingnesses to pay based on lots of different things. And there may be different tastes or preferences. A quick example that I have to tell you, I was born and raised in Ohio. And in the early 1980s, I moved to California and I had sushi for the very first time. In Ohio, I don't think a sushi bar existed. <laughs> So, so very different tastes and preferences. And so, so it could be regions of the country. It could be different parts of the world. doesn't matter where you go, but there are going to be tastes and preferences that drive willingness to pay. Similarly, there might be different regulations. So if we're thinking of selling medical products, we've got FDA here that's going to set regulations. EU has a separate organization that's, that's saying this is what's allowed or not allowed in our countries. And so those are a really big deal. Uh, we start thinking about what market segments we're going to go after. And if we're thinking about selling scooters in India or Asia, there might be the high-end market and then there's the used market. So there's different market segments in those different regions. And then finally, my one of my favorites is the competitive landscape. It's very possible that we have different competitors in one country than we do in another country. And if one country has really aggressive competitors, we have to price aggressively to win. And if another country doesn't have any competitors, we don't have to price aggressively. And so all of those drive what our customers are willing to pay. And just like if we were pricing here in our own country, we want to ask ourselves, how much is that buyer willing to pay? And how do I get as close to that as I possibly can? So that's the simple answer. Well, let me ask you a question about that, right? Yep. So you, you used country there to talk about with the different regions, but how do we know really what the right size segment is, right? You talked about Ohio versus California. They are, in fact, both in the same country. Uh, so, you know, is it is it country where we should start? Do we look at, can we go broader than that and look at regions or, or is it even smaller than that and we have to, to split them up? How do we know what the right size is? Excellent, because you just led me into the first of the complexities. Oh, and, and the first of the complexities is this concept called arbitrage. So arbitrage says, can I buy something at one price, turn around and resell it at another price? This is an economics or financial term that happens. But when we start thinking about price segmentation, we often wonder, can I sell a product in one place at one price, at a different place at a different price, and make sure that the country or the place that's buying at the higher price 
doesn't go to my lower price place to buy the same product. Does that, does that make sense? Sneaking over Mexico border to get prescription pills. Exactly right. And so that's an arbitrage situation, right? So people that live on the border of Portland and Washington, and I've, I always get this mixed up, but one of them has no income tax. The other one has no sales tax. So they choose the right border to live on so they don't pay income tax and they drive across the border to buy things so they don't pay sales tax. Mm. That's an arbitrage situation. So it often happens in companies if I've got a product and I want to sell it um, and I want to sell it here in the US and I'm also selling it in Asia and it turns out in Asia I'm selling it at half the price I'm selling it here in the US. What often happens is these Asian countries because they're smart buy tons of this stuff at half the price and turn around and sell it back in the U.S. at a lower price than we're selling our own product for. Mm. And, and so this is called arbitrage. We have to be really careful. Can we control who's selling where at what price? And that starts, starts to complicate our story a little bit. That doesn't really answer my question about how I would know the right size. Or is it, are you saying that I'd have to look at all those factors and how many maybe companies go across multiple areas to figure out where to start? Yeah, I guess that's a fair, a fair thing. I didn't answer the question. I implied the answer. So let's, let's make it more explicit. <laughs> I implied it. You just weren't smart enough to get it. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> did not say that. So, so both willingness to pay and this arbitrage question are going to drive this issue of how big of a market segment or market am I going to go after as I say I'm going to price for this area or this region. Um, so if, if across the entire United States I have the exact same willingness to pay, there are no changes in preferences, then I would treat the entire U.S. as a single country or as a single market, I should say, for pricing. If I have regions like Ohio and California in the mid 80s and I'm selling sushi, those two are not the same, right? They're absolutely not the same. And so in one case, you could say, oh, I'm going to get away with selling um, more product, higher price in California than I could in Ohio, because in Ohio, nobody knows anything about sushi. I got to get them to try it or buy it. Now the question is, is anybody going to arbitrage sushi from California to Ohio <laughs> or Ohio to California, I guess, would be the better bet. And the answer is probably not. And so we'd probably be able to get away with that. Okay. So I get it. So I, I go out and I make sure which areas have the different willingness to pay. I do my research. I figure out in Germany, they're Biratschaftsuzalen, and I'm ready to charge what they're willing to pay. Yes. Absolutely. As long as they're not going to take it from somewhere else. And as long as, yes, we have, just, we have to double check that arbitrage question and say, can they arbitrage it? Can they buy it from somewhere else? And so then we're just giving them the lower price anyway. All right. So that is it. And then we're done. No more complexity. Uh, no, there's one more really, really big piece of complexity. Oh, I thought you might say that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's called currency fluctuations. Mm. So now we really are talking about different countries with different currencies. Um, and the problem we're going to have now is what currency do we sell in? Now, as a, as a company, we are obviously selling in the currency that our buyer is buying in. So if I'm in Europe, they're going to spend euros. They're not going to spend dollars. But what if I have a distribution channel there? So what if I could sell to a distributor 
And then that distributor turns around and sells to the end customers. So we know that distributor has to sell in euros, but do we have to sell in euros to that distributor? We could get away with selling in dollars to the distributor. And the, and the distributor then takes, it's, it's the risk of the currency fluctuation. So if the currency fluctuates in our favor, that's awesome, we make more money. If the currency, and, and we're selling in, in euros, but if the currency doesn't fluctuate in our favor, then we, we don't make as much money, we start to lose money. Here's the way to think about this. First question is, what currency is our buyer or our buyers buying in? So we have to make sure they're able to buy in that currency. So that's euros in this case. The next question then is, what currency are our competitors using when they sell into that marketplace? Let's say I'm going to sell into Europe and I'm competing against a European company. So I know they're building products in euros. So they're absolutely using euros the entire um, transaction or, or value chain that they've got. So I know they're using euros. So if the fluctuation of the euro and the dollar change, and if I change my prices because that happened, I may now no longer be competitive with that competitor. Mm. So I need to make sure that I'm pricing relative to my competition in the local currency. Now here's the cool news. Let's say I'm competing against an American company in Europe. Then what happens is we have the dollar euro fluctuation and we take a shot at raising our price because our competitors facing the exact same situation and they're probably gonna raise their price to make up for it as well. When we're competing with that German company though, we can't do that anymore because they don't have that, that currency hit. Hmm. So the challenge now is what currency are we gonna sell in? And what we're really asking is who's gonna take the risk of currency fluctuation? Are we gonna push that on our channel? Are we gonna push that on our customers? Or are we willing to take that ourselves? Which sometimes is good news and sometimes is bad news. That's a lot to consider. So you, you're really looking at your competitor spots and then what your customers, again, expectations would be. Are different regions more or less um, prone or biased towards wanting to see prices in their currency? So obviously the end buyer is almost always buying in their own currency. Um, so, so think of it as a consumer. A consumer buys in their own currency. The question then becomes the channel, is the distribution channel more prone to buy in one currency than another? And the answer to that question is going to be how big is the distributor? How big is your channel? Because if you've got a small channel partner in a country, they're not really able to take on that currency risk, that currency fluctuation risk. Where the bigger a company gets, the more they realize this is just a financial decision. Do I want to take on the risk or not take on the risk? And by the way, if I take the risk, I'm probably getting paid for it. And I'm probably making more money because I took that risk. Okay. So somewhere down the distribution line, whether it's yourself, your channel, or the, even the client on a, or the customer and customer on a rare occasion is going to take that hit or potential risk reward. Absolutely. Okay. So what else do I need to know about international pricing? Who manages execution, right? Let's say I've got a company, we go out and we sell in 17 regions. Do I manage all the different pricing? Do I have a pricing desk for everything centrally? Should I put them elsewhere? How do I do that? So the answer to that one is going to depend upon who's taking the currency risk, who's taking the fluctuation risk. What, what a lot of American companies do, and I'm not practiced by any means, 
is they're going to set the U.S. dollar price. And then they're going to push that U.S. dollar price around the world to their channel. And then that channel partner has to deal with the currency fluctuations, getting the price right to the consumer. And that certainly not best practices, but it's easy in terms of execution because all I really had to do was set one set of prices and push them out into the world. The much harder thing to do, but it's always more effective, is to say I want to manage individual prices in each country. And now the question is, how are we doing that? It is, you know, we so often think that product people, product managers are the ones who have to set prices because they're the ones who know the value of our product relative to our competition and what our customer problems we're solving. But if we're going to set 17 different prices in 17 different regions, it's hard to get the product manager to do all that. In which case, we probably have local people that are going to end up setting those prices and negotiating back with the factory to say, are we still getting the margins we need? Is this reasonable? Are you, are you making the decisions in an intelligent way? Uh, but, but the more regions we have, the more decentralized we should be making those pricing decisions. Um, and when it comes to execution, it really depends on the systems that someone has in place as to how we do that. Um, most companies have built some type of quotation system that they've put in place. And, and that's what's going to drive that execution piece. Okay, that makes sense. And then I think the, probably the last piece of that then is if you do do uh, different pricings on different areas of the, the world, then you also have to look at the metrics you use to compare the success of products in different spots, right? Oh, absolutely. It just gets way more complex now. Um, so when we start to look at average selling prices, and, and that's one of the metrics I love to use as a pricing person, what's happening to our average selling prices, and is it going up or down in Germany versus in the U.S.? And, and if it's going up or down in Germany, is that due to currency fluctuations? Is it due to changes in market? What's my competition doing? It, it, it certainly complicates things, but it also gives us more granularity in terms of what are the, what are the levers we can pull to improve profitability of the company. What I found really interesting when I went uh, and did some market visits in Europe last year was, uh, so in the U.S., right, we tend to have U.S. pricing and U.S. products, and then we decide to go out globally. It's like a, a phase two for a company. Yes. And in European companies, it's, it's phase zero, right? It's built from the ground up with this idea in mind, partly because of the market sizes and changes. But it's never thought of as, I'm going to have a homegrown product that I'm going to go out. It's always looked at as an international piece. And I found that change really interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Because if you build something in one European country, all of Europe is your market. Mm -hmm. And every one of those is a different country. So yeah, at least last time I checked, it was. Right, currently, (laughs) as the map states today. (laughs) All right, we talked a lot of different things about international pricing, Mark. What would you, if you had to pick two things for people to to think about if they're looking at going international with their pricing today, what would it be? The number one thing is going to be focus on willingness to pay. And we talked about a lot of complexities and how we can make things way, way more complex than they need to be. I would say probably the biggest thing for our listeners to do is say, how do I find a single region that has a significantly different willingness to pay than the region that I'm currently selling in or at the prices that I'm currently selling for and see if we can can find that. Pick a market, pick a market segment size, uh, set a new price for it. Uh, The execution should be relatively simple dealing with two instead of one price. And, And so I would say 
that would probably be the single biggest thing is try to find a single place where you could go make an improvement and not think you have to do everything for everybody all at once. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Mark. It was a pleasure to have you on today, and I hope you'll join us again. I always have fun doing these, Rebecca. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't catch that I learned how to say willingness to pay in German. That I said, Bereitschaft zu zählen. I was like, really? I just dropped it, and I was like, nothing, huh? Okay, say the words one more time. Bereitschaft zu zählen. Now, all the German listeners are going to be like, man, not so much. But I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I tried, and then I just tried to sprinkle it in for you, and it missed it all together. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> all right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 